Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that documents the growing movement that seeks to destroy the distinction between church and state, replacing American democracy with a Christian dictatorship that uses the power of government to force all Americans to convert to Christianity and obey the commands of Christian priests and preachers. At present, approximately 40% of Americans are non-Christian. That's well over 100 million people. Christian nationalists are planning to take over federal, state, and local governments across the United States and to use the power of every government office at their disposal to impose Christianity on these Americans. It's a project that's so extreme that it might seem unlikely to ever succeed. However, Christian nationalists have already succeeded in the first step of their plans. They have taken over the Republican Party, which is now officially dedicated to transforming the United States of America into a Christian nation. Under the merger of Christian nationalism and the Republican Party, Christian churches across America have been converted into cogs in a vast political machine that is dedicated to electing Christian nationalist extremists into every public office. The plans of Christian nationalists are so audacious that many Americans don't want to believe that this is taking place. In particular, progressive Christians insist that Christian nationalism is not really Christian. They insist that Christian nationalists don't know the Christian Bible and are using some kind of fake Christianity to try to make their religion look bad. And as they do this, they're kind of implying that this is just a small fringe group, and therefore not that really, not, not that threatening. But the disturbing truth is that the Christian Bible and mainstream Christian doctrines explicitly support the goal of earthly political domination by Christians. Christian nationalists cite specific Bible verses from the Old Testament and the New Testament alike to justify their violent Christian nationalist agenda. Consider Minister Chuck O'Neill of the 116 Bible Church in Beaverton, Oregon. Now, this church was formerly known as the Beaverton Grace Bible Church. Well, Minister O'Neill recently cited a specific Bible verse as uh, the basis for Christian nationalism uh, in a recent sermon. He called this the Great Commission, and he found biblical justification for these ideas in the Gospel of Matthew. Ultramaga, Christian nationalism. Pastor, can you find that in your Bible? Yes, I can. In one of my most favorite verses, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, our king, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who conquered sin, Satan, and death, and rose again on the third day, before he ascended, he commanded Christian nationalism on a local and global level. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the absolute authority, the authority above all authorities, above all nations, above all kings, above all governments, all presidents, all authority has been given to me, says Jesus, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, nations. But do we not want nations to be saved? Did Jesus not want nations to be saved? Will Jesus not bring every nation to its knees before him? He will. Oh yes, I intend to make this a Christian nation. Yes, I intend to see every man, woman, and child confess Christ as Lord. I intend to see biblical law, the law of our land. The biblical law that Chuck O'Neill refers to here isn't just some general requirement that everybody praise the Christian God and go to church. As Chuck O'Neill sees it, biblical law contains some very specific requirements, including a ban on divorce and the prohibition of homosexuality and transgender identities. Here's what O'Neill also told his congregation. Marriage is one man and one woman for life under God, by God's design. Under the biblical law that Chuck O'Neill wants to impose on the United States, everyone's marriage would be controlled by Christian leaders. Secular marriages wouldn't be allowed anymore, and neither would be divorce. Same-sex marriage would be outlawed. Transgender identities will be made illegal under his Christian nationalism as well. Men are men and women are women. And men do not become women and women do not become men. Christian minister Chuck O'Neill's expanding list of biblical laws restricting Americans' private lives gives us a potent reminder that Christian nationalism demands control. Christian nationalist propaganda begins with what seems to Christian Americans to be a small, reasonable request. Well, could the government grant Christianity a special place of request? What's so bad about that? Well, once that foot is in the door, more specific demands follow. Once Christianity is allowed to be the national religion of the United States, it logically follows that American laws should be Christian laws, that we will all have to follow the laws of the Christian Bible. The Christian laws that Christian nationalists want to impose on the United States are out of date and out of touch with present-day American culture, they demand that equality of gender and sexuality be revoked and that every American be forced to comply with heterosexual cisgender norms. Christian nationalists 
say that anything else is evil and should be against the law. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. That's the God they spoke of. I truly never thought we'd live to see the evil we are seeing today as perverts parade themselves in streets with little children out there being taught perversion by them and grandma and mommy and daddy and grandpa standing along the side of the pervert parade smiling as if this was a beautiful family scene. Grandma and grandpa and mommy and daddy should all be arrested and the children taken from them. Christian nationalism begins with the requirement that all Americans be forced to worship the Christian God. To people who are raised within Christianity, that doesn't seem very unreasonable. They believe that being a Christian is what's normal and natural for all people. Now, 40% of Americans are non-Christian, but people who live in tight-knit Christian communities tend not to perceive this cultural diversity. Everyone that they know is Christian, and their churches like to keep it that way. Christian nationalism seeks to impose that kind of closed-off nature of right-wing churches on the entire country. Christian nationalists feel uncomfortable with people who are different from them, and so they accuse anything and anyone that deviates from what they learn in their churches of being evil. So it is that Christian nationalism turns from simple control over Americans' religious identity to a totalitarian government control over every aspect of Americans' private lives. Christian nationalists seek to impose a Christian government that is so strong that it even has the power to tell Americans who they can have sex with, and how to do it. In a Christian nationalist America, punishments for deviation from biblical law would be harsh. Remember what the Christian minister Chuck O'Neill threatens. Grandma and Grandpa and Mommy and Daddy should all be arrested and the children taken from them. Would Christian nationalists really do this? Would they really throw parents and grandparents into prison and take children away from families just because they're refusing to follow biblical laws? Well, we don't need to speculate about our answer to that question. Recent history shows us exactly what a Christian nationalist government would do. Less than 50 years ago, a Christian nationalist government imposed the system of Christian biblical laws and punishments that Minister Chuck O'Neill longs for. You may not know what I'm referring to. That's because most American children are not taught this part of history, and most American adults don't like to think about it. I'm talking about the Christian nationalist government of Spain under the fascist 
Francisco Franco. Now, we, we teach our children that fascism was defeated at the end of World War II, but that's not really quite what happened. Fascism in Spain persisted for two generations after that, from the 1930s until 1975. That's just 47 years ago. A central component of Spanish fascism was the blending of church and state. In fascist Spain, Christianity was made the official religion of the state. Christian churches were given the legal power to control people's lives. Christian priests and nuns had the authority to impose biblical laws on people. To be anything other than Christian became illegal. In fact, the Spanish fascist government did not stop at just requiring all people to be Christians. The government decided what kind of Christian everyone had to be. To belong to the Catholic Church was mandatory. They called this regime National Catholicism. Christian nationalism was in force in fascist Spain. So if we want to understand what Christian nationalism really means, we can look at what life in fascist Spain was like. Now, you remember what Christian minister Chuck O'Neill said about what should happen to families who violate Christian biblical laws? Grandma and grandpa and mommy and daddy should all be arrested and the children taken from them. What American Christian minister Chuck O'Neill just talked about? That is exactly what happened in fascist Spain. Grandma and grandpa and mommy and daddy were arrested. The Christian nationalist government identified all the people who were not Christian enough, the homosexuals, the liberals, and they rounded them up. Soldiers and police hauled off everyone who refused to obey the biblical laws of fascist National Catholicism hauled them off to prison. Then the atheists, the liberals, the gays, the lesbians, the independent women of Spain, and anybody else who spoke out against the Christian nationalist government, they were all tortured and killed, and their bodies were dumped in mass graves. The Christian nationalist government of fascist Spain murdered one out of every 30 of its citizens. The cruelty of Christian nationalism in fascist Spain didn't stop with just killing people. Just as Chuck O'Neill threatens to do here in America, the Christian fascists took people's children away. Over the last decade, the people of Spain have begun to learn the details of a horrific government program that was enacted under Francisco Franco. The Christian nationalists of fascist Spain stole people's babies and then sold those babies for profit. 
many of the records that documented this abuse were destroyed after the fall of the fascists, and many fascist judges and government officials remain in their government positions. So the full extent of the baby-stealing program is not yet known. Some estimates place the number of stolen babies in the tens of thousands. The documentary Stolen Babies of Spain calculates that 300,000 babies were taken from their families. The widespread theft of babies across Spain was done with the approval of the fascist government, but the people who actually stole the babies were the priests and the nuns of the Catholic Church. The trafficking of stolen babies was a Christian nationalist program. Christian leaders in Spain worked with the fascist government to set up a system of political and religious surveillance. Families and individuals who were disloyal to the government and to the Catholic Church were identified. And when women from these families went to hospitals to give birth, nuns took their babies and then told the women that their babies had died. Their babies were then sold to wealthy Christian families that were loyal to the fascists. Now, eventually, in order to keep the trafficking of stolen babies going, the Christian nationalists of Spain began to sell these babies overseas. Many of the stolen babies ended up in the United States. The babies that were stolen by the Christian nationalists of fascist Spain are now middle-aged adults. Many of them have no idea where they came from or that they were stolen from their parents at all. Even if they know that they were adopted, many of them don't even know that because their adoption records were falsified. The goal of the systematic theft of babies was to establish a permanent system of Christian control over the government and culture of Spain. Fascist doctors who crafted this system believed that children could inherit the atheism and liberalism of their parents. And so the goal was to ensure that the stolen babies would be raised as Christians who would support the fascist government. Eventually, financial profit for the National Catholic Church of Spain also became a strong motive of this abuse. Now, Christian nationalists like to depict themselves as having family values. But as the history of fascist Spain shows, what Christian nationalists actually value is just one kind of family. Christian nationalism despises all other kinds of families, and it seeks to destroy them. Christian nationalists seek to control families, to deny them the freedom to be happy on their own terms. Under Christian governments, families become tools of authoritarian power, and family life becomes impoverished, forced into compliance with a thin 
ideological script. Think back to the way that Chuck O'Neill insists that men must behave in certain ways, and women in other ways, with anything that deviates from these mandatory performances derided as a perversion that must be banned. Just as Chuck O'Neill wants to force marriage to become a lifelong bond, the Spanish fascist Christian nationalists seized control of marriage, dissolving all marriages that had not been performed in Christian churches and prohibiting divorce. Homosexuality was banned. Sex outside of marriage was made a crime. Unmarried women who were suspected of having been sexually active were put into special prisons where Christian nuns supervised their punishment. Women who showed signs of independence, atheism, or political liberalism were forced to perform a walk of shame in fascist Christian nationalist Spain. Their heads were shaved, they were forced to drink laxatives, and then they were forced to walk naked down the street as their neighbors came out to jeer at them and assault them. Often, at the end of this gauntlet, the women were shot dead. Christian nationalism, under the Spanish fascists, did not create a wonderland of peace and love. The national Catholic government maintained its power through violence and fear. Between 10 and 15% of the adult male population was used as slave labor. Squalid prison camps were filled beyond capacity with enemies of the Christian nationalist state. Democracy was forbidden as the nation was subjected to one-party rule. While the population as a whole suffered under famines, Christian nationalist elites made themselves filthy rich through corruption. Through it all, the official fascist government doctrine of Christian nationalism kept on telling people that Christianity was a religion of love. Well, when preachers like Chuck O'Neill tell us that they want to make the United States a Christian nationalist nation, we can look at the history of Christian nationalism in regimes such as the Spanish fascist dictatorship of Francisco Franco, and we can get a pretty good idea of what they really have in mind. We can also look at the way that Christian nationalist churches treat their members. Chuck O'Neill's 116 Bible Church used to operate under the name Beaverton Grace Bible Church. But the church chose to change its name after it got a bad reputation for abusing and harassing its own congregants. When church members complained about the way that they were being treated, Chuck O'Neill and the Beaverton Grace Bible Church sued them for libel. O'Neill and the church lost their lawsuit when evidence provided to the court substantiated the church's abusive practices. 
if Christian nationalists succeed and force the United States to become a Christian nation, we'll all become involuntary members of an abusive church that we are never allowed to leave. Well, what can we do about that? What can we do to stop the advance of Christian nationalism in the United States? Extremist Christian churches have a lot of power, but there are certain aspects of that Christian power that make it vulnerable. Extremist Christian preachers tend to be fairly egotistical. They love the sound of their own voices, and that means that they have a very difficult time restraining themselves when they're up on a stage performing for their churches. Because Christian normativity is the default in American culture, people presume that Christian churches are a positive presence until they are confronted with evidence to the contrary. It's up to us to present people with that evidence to the contrary. There are search engines online that are dedicated to helping people find sermons on specific topics. Now, mostly, these search engines for sermons are used by Christian preachers who are too lazy to think up their own sermons. They'll search for other preachers' sermons on these platforms and copy what they hear, changing a few words here and there to make it sound like it's their own. But we can use these search engines too. We can use them to find audio recordings or text transcripts of extremist Christian sermons. So you can go to places like sermon.net or sermonaudio.com and enter phrases like Christian nationalism or Christian nation. If you do that, you'll come across many sermons that are on this topic. And you can listen to these sermons and pay attention to the meaning in their words. And then you can share some of those troubling selections that are in there. Share them on whatever social media platforms that you belong to. It, it's one thing for us to say that Christian nationalists are dangerous, but it's more powerful to let people hear the dangerous ideas that they are teaching in their sermons, in their own words. Letting Christian nationalists speak for themselves shows what they're really up to. Americans need to know when a church is spreading hate in their neighborhood. But these days, there are fewer journalists available to investigate militant Christian organizations. Instead of simply spreading the news that's already out there, on the wire, you can make something new. You can contribute your own information that you're finding about the advance of Christian nationalism. Now, of course, Christian nationalist preachers have the right to deliver sermons about whatever they want. They should have that legal right. That's the difference between us and Christian nationalists. They want to ban our speech. We don't want to ban theirs. Everybody should have the right to free speech. But there should be consequences for free speech, socially, 
not legally, but people have the right to judge what they hear in each other's free speech. So if you're out there finding these sermons and helping other people to understand what's being said in them, the goal is to document what Christian nationalists are saying and what they are doing so that the American people can be informed about what's going on. There is nothing like hearing Christian nationalist preachers shouting about replacing American democracy with biblical law and compelling people to bend their knees to Jesus and controlling their sex lives. Nothing like that to motivate people to get involved with the movement to resist Christian nationalism. Thank you for listening to Stop Christian Nationalism. We're going to be back next week because, you know, every week there's more and more going on. Christian nationalists are gaining momentum. And so that makes it all the more important that we stick with it and we pay attention to what they're doing. Come back next week because we have a lot to talk about.